If you have a Bible, please turn to John 14. John 14. Well, I will say that uh, by way of an, an intro to my intro, this intro is going to be very long. A very long intro. If this introduction was submitted to me by a guest speaker, I would cut like all of it. Um, but I'm not a guest speaker, so there you go. Um, and also, this sermon will feel more like a teaching than a sermon. So take notes. Uh, you'll probably will get that throughout this series because I'm trying to teach you some of the practices uh, that, as Dale was sharing, that we, have, we hope to live in. Uh, one of Dale's famous sayings, and he said it even tonight, is, um, as evidenced by what? That's like his famous saying. And so we said, we will be a church that's cultivating intimacy with God, and in the words of Dale, as evidenced by what? And so this series is the answer to that. What, will it, what does it look like concretely to cultivate intimacy with God as a part of Reality San Francisco? And so that's why this will feel more like a teaching. We're in a, a very important series uh, that is kind of the culmination of our pastoral theme this year, which is cultivating intimacy with God. And we're calling this series Everyday Mystic. Um, and the subtitle is Living in Union with God and Cultivating a Life of Intimacy. And last week... I gave a little primer on what Christian mysticism is and why we're using this concept for this series. If you were not here last week, it's required listening if you're a part of this community, so please go back and listen so that this series makes sense to you and so that you've done the work to understand the difference between Christian mysticism and mysticism in general. Because you start using that word and people will think they know what you're talking about. So please listen to last week. But for our purposes today, let me summarize just one thing. We unpacked this in full last week, but this is the working definition, and I think it's important to reiterate it, and it is this. Mysticism is the art of union with God. Mysticism is the art of union with God. If you love artistic language and you love how you, you're practicing something and you never really attain it, but it's like more like an art form, the, here's your definition. If you're more goals-oriented and you want, like, what are we aiming for? What are we doing? Here's your definition. Mysticism is the pursuit of or enjoyment of union with God. It's the pursuit of. It's something that you're doing and you're pursuing. It's something that you're trying to enjoy, union with God. Now, union with God is a fact, Union with God is the reality of Christianity, that through Christ we have union, we have union with God, we have life with God. This is the mystery and the hope of humanity, according to Paul the Apostle. In Colossians, he says, the, risk, the glorious mystery that I've been talking about, and it, it is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Next slide. Is Jason up there? Yes, it is Jason. Jason is on our staff. He said, I'm doing slides tonight. I'm going to give you a really hard time if it's you doing slides. So let it begin. Okay. So Paul's like, the glorious riches, uh, uh, that mystery that I'm talking about, what is this mystery? And here's the mystery. That's why the word mysticism comes from the word mystery. What is this glorious mystery? It's that Christ lives in you. That is the hope of humanity. That God, through Christ, would live in us. Now, mysticism, now that's a fact, that's a reality, that is true. If you are a follower of Jesus tonight, if you've placed your hope and your faith in Christ, 
Christ lives in you. The, and because Christ lives in you, the language that the Bible uses, that the Spirit of God lives in you, that the Spirit of Christ lives in you, the Holy Spirit lives in you, Jesus lives in you, and the Father and Jesus are one, so the Father lives in you. That's the language, right? That's a fact. Now, mysticism is the art of practicing that reality or the art of enjoying that reality or the art of pursuing that reality. Let me give you an example, a quick example, to try to help you understand what I mean when I say the, the practice of it. Imagine you lived in one small house your entire life and you never left this house. And this house was fine enough. It had everything that you needed to survive. But you lived in this house. But one day you were granted freedom. Real, lasting freedom. And this real freedom was a fact and a new reality for your life. So now what do you do with this new reality? Do you stay in your little house, comforting yourself with the fact that you can leave if you wanted to, going about your normal life as before with a new awareness of this new fact about your life, but one in which leaves your life completely unchanged normal, just like it was? Or do you explore? Do you leave your little house, your little plot of land? Do you start enjoying your freedom through seeing new things, smelling new smells, tasting new tastes? Do you pursue the boundless potential of your freedom through travel? Or do you stay in your little house and read books from other travelers? Do you see the difference? See, I imagine you've been told that Christianity at the heart of it is that God through Christ makes his way in your life and lives in you and you in God, that you belong to him, that your sins are forgiven, that you're at home with God and God is at home with you. You belong to him and he belongs to you and that is a fact indeed. And you, I would imagine if, you're, if you've been into Christianity for any length of time, you've been told that. But the question that this series is trying to answer is, have you explored that union? Have you taken time to know what it means to enjoy that union every moment of every day? Have you discovered the art of practicing union with God in ways that have deeply changed you and formed you? That is what we hope to get at, at this series. And what I hope to do in the next four weeks is give you some very practical ways to become a mystic, to become someone who enjoys union with God every single day. And to do that, I'm going to use a framework given to us by Guijo the Angelic, who is also known as Guijo II, a monk who wrote in the 12th century. And the reason why I like to use his framework for mysticism is because from all the things I've read so far, there are many different definitions and methods the mystics and Christian contemplatives suggest for union with God. There's many different methods. And one method varies from the next, but when this diversity of methods is carefully examined, I have found the methods themselves to be strikingly similar. So, I think Guijo summarizes the method the best. And he calls it, if you're taking notes, write this down, the ladder of monks. And this is how he puts it in his writing. One day, when I was busy with my hands... Ah, uh, you see that? Monks don't just, I mean, contemplatives don't just sit at home all day. He was busy with his hands. I began to think about our spiritual work. And, with, and all at once, four stages in spiritual exercise came to my mind. And they are this, reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Write that down. These make a ladder 
for monks by which they ascend from earth to heaven. It has few rungs, yet its length is immense and wonderful. For its lower end rests on earth, reading the scriptures. But its top pieces pierces the clouds and touches heavenly secrets. That's the ladder. Next slide, Jason. There you go. The rest of the quote. Sorry. That's the ladder. And I love how he says the ladder is so, so, the, the rungs are so low on earth that the very first ladder, which is reading the scriptures, anyone can, anyone can access that. But then it reaches contemplation, which pierces the heavens. And this is the ladder, reading, meditation, prayer, contemplation. So today I want to talk about the first two and combine them a bit, which I hope makes sense along the way. Introduction done. That was my intro, by the way. See, I told you it was long. We haven't even gotten to the sermon yet. Okay, you ready for the sermon? All right, John 14. Uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 15, and I'm going to stop at verse 23, and then I will just allow us to be silent for just a few beats, and then I'll pray. Cool? John uh, 14, Jesus, at at the end of his life, he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will leave you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Let's just be still for a couple moments to let this sink in, especially that last sentence. I and the Father will come to them and make our home with them. Thank you that you live with us, God, that you live in us, Lord, that you desire to make your home with us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this church and this congregation. Speak to us tonight. Thank you for Jason doing the slides. I'm so, so grateful. Bless him, Lord. Thank you for Nkechi. It's her birthday. Bless her as well. Lord, just allow us to just, like, like live in your presence as we listen to this sermon. Um, and guide me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What is meditation, and what makes something specifically Christian meditation? What is meditation, and what makes something specifically Christian meditation? And the question I get emailed to me more often than you think is, can you do this while doing things like yoga or mindfulness exercises or even soul cycling? 
I'll, I'll be trying to answer these questions in this sermon. First, I'll start here. I believe meditation is a specific kind of thing and a very specific kind of practice that when practiced regularly and rightly can make its way eventually into normal life and other places, but if not first learned in stillness and silence, there is no way you can take meditation on the road. Does that make sense? Meditation is a kind of thing that once you learn it, you can take it anywhere, but until you learn it, you can't learn it anywhere, just anywhere. You can't be on a plane in the back squished between people that are just really smelly and like, I'm going to go to my secret meditation place with Jesus. Like, I'm going to learn it there. Not really. But if you learn it in stillness and quietness, you can take it there. If you learn it in stillness and quiet, you can take it almost anywhere. In other words, you cannot learn Christian meditation while doing yoga stretches or doing mindfulness exercises with your coworkers or support group. But once learned, you can take Christian meditation to those places and any place that you go. Because when Christian meditation is done rightly, this is what happens. Richard Foster says, what, meditation, what happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. Keep that slide up there for a second. I think this is one of the clearest, easiest concepts to grasp and hold on to when thinking about Christian meditation. What is Christian meditation? Well, what happens is this, is this, is that when, if, if, you're, if you're new to Christian meditation, meditation is creating the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ through silence to build in us an inner sanctuary where we can commune with God, unite with God's will, and enjoy his presence. Imagine your favorite place on earth to meet with God. Everyone imagine that, wherever it is. For some of you, got, for some of you folks, it's right here uh, on Sunday night. You come to Sunday night church, and during Second Sunday Music, you kneel, you lay on the carpets or whatever, and you feel like so near God. You go to the prayer teams, you feel near God. You come forward to receive communion. You're like, this is, this is my space. This is the place where I meet with God. For others, it's a beautiful church that you might pop into after work to be silent. For me, it's Big Sur in a cabin next to a river with a fire going and me alone with God. Now, meditation starts with making space for Jesus to build that place, whatever that physical place is that you meet with God, in your inner life so you can always go there to be with God. Are you with me? No matter where you are. Christian meditation is doing the work, it takes work, or it takes effort, I should say, to build, to be quiet before God, to build that place to where anywhere you go, you could be still and go to this place with God and dwell with God. We've all had these moments where we've, we've physical places where we're like, I met with God at that place. Christian meditation is building that place here. And I want you to think of meditation like that. From our passage in John, the place where God meets with us is real. See, it means that spirit, son, and father really make their home in our hearts. And meditation is the experiential construction of that place so that you know how to get there practically. See, it's a fact and reality that Christ lives in you if you are a Christian. Father, son, spirit makes their home in your heart. And what Christian meditation does is 
allows that experiential thing to be constructed. Now, if I were to skip ahead, if you're one of those overachievers and you're like, let's skip ahead a bit, where does this end? Well, check this out. Where this ends, if we were to skip ahead, the art of a living in that inner sanctuary always, no matter where you go, is what the mystics call contemplation or the contemplative life. Now, we'll get there. So meditation is building, expanding, and getting familiar with this space in our inner life where we're with God. Contemplative Christianity or contemplation or being a mystic is living there always. No matter where you go, you go to coffee, you travel, you wherever you go, you're living with God in communion and union with God everywhere you go. Now that takes time, this takes effort, but that's basically where it leads. Now, how do you make space for this construction project? How do you even begin to start this construction project? Three things, silence, scripture, and listening. Or maybe I should say it this way, what does meditation look like? And I would write these three things down. Meditation looks like this. It looks like silence, it looks like scripture, and it looks like listening. This is how we partner with God to build this inner sanctuary. And I'd say it must start, it must start with silence. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Spiritual Formation, writes, the mystics all agree that silence is the royal road to spiritual formation. I have never met anyone seriously interested in the spiritual life who did not have a growing desire for silence. As long as our hearts and minds are filled with the words of our own making, there is no space for the word to enter deeply into our hearts and bear fruit. In and through silence, the word of God descends from the mind into the heart where we can ruminate on it, chew it, digest it, and let it become flesh and blood in us. This is the meaning of meditation. This is the meaning of meditation. Without silence, the word cannot become our inner guide. Without meditation, it cannot build its home in our hearts and speak from there. Do you notice, I, I, Henry Nouwen, his, um, his, his model or method is the exact same thing we're talking about right now. It starts with silence. It moves to scripture or word. And then God begins to construct, the way Nouwen writes it, is he builds a home in our heart. Or, as Richard Foster puts it, he constructs an inner sanctuary in our hearts. Now one is saying the same thing. Meditation starts with silence and then moves to a meditation on God's word. And through that, God begins to build a home in our hearts, an inner sanctuary, if you will, where God meets with us and speaks to us and communes with us. Therefore, Christian meditation is... The ability to hear God's voice and obey God's word. Christian meditation at its heart is the ability to hear God's voice and obey God's word. And it's only through artful meditation that the word obey up there in that sentence isn't offensive or triggering. Some of you guys read this and you're like, some of you all read this and you're like, oh, listening to God's voice. If you just stopped there, I would have been all in. Hearing God's voice, that's all I want in life, hearing God's voice. But I say, and obeying God's word, you're like, whoa, that's a little triggering for me. 
I don't know if I can handle that. That seems, obey God's word. What are you saying? It's only through meaningful meditation that the word obey in that sentence takes on more of a wills-aligned type of meaning, where our will is aligned with God's will, or union with God begins to happen, where your will and God's will are aligned. And when this starts to happen, when you start to uh, spend time meditating, Christian meditation, on God's word, on God's ways, bringing these things in, you actually have this emotive feeling of union. You actually start to emotionally feel united with God. You actually start to emotionally feel united with his will for your life. On, on, on Saturdays, Ash and I uh, Sabbath once a week, um, practice Sabbath. And we Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And one of the things that we do on Saturday is we go for a walk. And we usually walk to lunch. And as we walk, we practice, uh, we practice together uh, um, uh, Eucharisto, which is a form of thanksgiving, gratitude. And we go throughout our entire last week, and we walk through our week, and we're like, okay, what were you thankful for? In what ways did God show up? In what ways were, were even through hard things, in what ways can you be hard, grateful for the hard things? And so we just walk through our life, and we spend time walking to lunch, and we talk about, usually on the way there, Ash shares her thing on the way home, I share my week. And it feels like our wills are aligned. It feels like there's a union in our marriage when we agree on where we want to go for lunch. <laughs> like, like, emotion, like I, I emotionally feel so aligned with Ashley when we're walking and I go and we both, go, we, want, like, we both want a sandwich that day. And we have this insane sandwich place by our house. And when she, she's like, sandwich, sandwich, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love being married to you. Like, I love, our wills are aligned. Like, we have union. It feels like we want the same things. But when she's like, I don't really feel like that today, I'm like, I don't even know who you are anymore. How do I do this? This is so, like, I, I just, I, I'm like, okay, what do we do? And then we have to think. That, but that feeling that, I, that I, I experience when, just silly things, like, we want the same thing. Is, is that, that feeling is union. You, you might experience that with a friend, a coworker, um, someone you love. You might feel that like when, when there's union. This is the feeling that you and I, you and I get when we're, when we're actually in, in meditation with God and our wills begin to align. When the things that God wants for the day, you want for the day. When the things that God commands that are the things that bring you delight. It's only through meditation that this begins to happen, where your will surrendered to Christ's will. Jesus practiced meditation even in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was able to confess to the Father, ultimately, I don't want to go to the cross, yet not in my will. Let your will be done. And later on in Philippians, it said it was, it was, it was the joy of Christ that brought him to the cross. It was his joy. Some, something happened in Gethsemane where his will, where Jesus' will was surrendered to the Father, even though it was horrifically painful, he submitted to it. This happens in meditation. This does not happen by reading a book. This does not, this does not happen by pumping yourself by listening to some really dope worship music. It doesn't happen that way. It happens through the quietness of being with God and meditating on God. Meditation, it's in meditation that our that the Our Father prayer becomes intensely personal. 
our Father who art in heaven, that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. In meditation, that's what happens. It's let your kingdom come in me as it is in heaven. And as I've been pressing into, into and practicing meditation over this past year in particular, I have found that God has constructed in me an inner sanctuary in my heart. And to be honest, right now, it's small. The room is small there. That sanctuary in my heart is real small. And the walls are thin to where when I'm quiet with God, there's still all kinds of noise that gets in. But it's there. And over time, I know the room will grow and the walls will get thicker. And maybe my hope is by the age of 55, I'm a mystic. I'm a contemplative to where I'm walking with God and mindful of God every minute of every day. That's my hope. But it starts here. It starts with building this place where I'm like living. My inner life is, is, is expanded and I'm living it with God. Now, you may be thinking, what's the difference between Christian meditation and other forms of meditation from other mystical traditions? So here are a few here are a couple differences. Many other Eastern, I say, I'll say Eastern in like air quotes, because as we talked about last week, Christianity is an Eastern religion. It literally happened in the Middle East, right? In Jerusalem. Many other Eastern meditation practices is an attempt to empty the mind. So whenever you're, you're practicing mindfulness or you're practicing meditation and other Eastern meditation practices is an attempt to empty your mind of your thoughts. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill your mind with God and an awareness of him in everything. Now, this does take some emptying of self, but the goal is not just to be empty, but it's to be filled. The goal isn't just to think all your thoughts away, but to be, your mind would be filled with Christ. That's the goal of Christian meditation. Also, detachment is often the final goal of many Eastern meditation practices, like a detachment from desire, a detachment from want, a detachment from need, a detachment from anything, where you, even your body, is, is, is seen as something that's weighed down to earth, and you need to be detached from your body and reach the state of nirvana where you don't have attachment to anything. Christian meditation goes far beyond the notion of detachment onto attachment. Again, detachment is an important piece of Christian meditation where we detach from even our own, our own will, even the sinful, fallen flesh that we have. But it doesn't end there. The hope is to richer attachment to God. So Christian meditation goes beyond the notion of detachment onto attachment, which is why reading or meditating on Scripture is such a vital part of Christian meditation. Without the Word... There is no real meaning to meditation. Without the word, without you thinking upon the scriptures, there's no real meaning to meditation. Let me explain what I mean by this. I'm going to get a little bit heady, so bear with me. Throughout Jesus' teachings in John 14, 15, and 16, if you've ever spent time in John 14, 15, and 16, when, he is trying, when Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples union, how he will make us one as he is one with the Father, and they are one, and they will live in us, and we will live in them. When Jesus is trying to explain this throughout all three chapters, uh, John 14, 15, and 16, he continues to bring up, if you, if you remember, he continues to bring up the Spirit and the Word. He says that the Spirit will live in us, 
And the Spirit will guide us in the Word, and He will take the words, the Spirit will take the words from the Father and make them known to us. And we will prove that we have union with God when we live by the Spirit and obey His Word, His truth, by the power of the Spirit. And so He, what, the way that Jesus describes union, He describes it by saying, the Spirit will come and live in you, and the Word will come and live in you, and then planted Word, and the Spirit will take the Word and apply it to your heart, and the Spirit will keep speaking on what He hears from the Father and make it known to you, and you will live by the Word, and if you obey me, you're my friends. Like, it's all about the Spirit and Word. Now, why? Does Jesus, when he's talking about union, bring up spirit and word over and over again? Because union with God has both to do with spirit and word, presence and meaning. Spirit is the presence of God mediated through the spirit. It's the presence of the Father and the Son mediated to us by the spirit. And the word is the vehicle of meaning. God's word is the vehicle of meaning. So Jesus takes his spirit, his presence, and his word, meaning, and he indwells us with it. His word and his spirit live in us. See, presence without meaning is disturbing. If I had someone sitting right here looking at this section, just looking at you in the face, just like looking at you. And you'd be like, what is that person doing there? And no, no one said anything. You'd be like, that guy is really creepy. <laughs> and he's a little awkward and it's really disturbing. What is he there for? I'm not, I'm not saying. He's just a presence. He has no meaning. He's just there. That's really disturbing. Do that. In a, show up at a department store. Just stand there like. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? I have, I have no meaning. I'm just a presence. That's, that's disturbing, right? But meaning without presence is lonely. It's like looking at a picture of a loved one who has died or reading a letter of someone who's passed. That's lonely. There's, there's meaning there in those words, but there's no presence, and it's lonely. My wife um, has voicemails from her dad still on her phone that she has she can't listen to. Her dad passed away last year. And she can't listen to him because it's too lonely. His voice will be there. Meaning of his words will be there. But he's not here. That's lonely. See, you need presence without meaning is disturbing and meaning without presence is lonely. You need both for formation. We need both. We need presence and meaning. This is what Christian meditation on God's word promises us. And I would say forms of meditation and mindfulness that are not rooted in God's word are without real meaning. And to be honest, this is what really frustrates me about yoga. When I go to yoga studios, when I soul cycle, I'm even into this like Peloton thing that I talked about a few weeks ago. Like this sort of mindfulness speaking really frustrates me. I don't mean to offend anyone. But the reason why it frustrates me is because it's so dang lonely. Because you're saying words that have no meaning. You're just saying things. You're like, you and the universe and the thing and the oneness of the water that comes with the ground is in you and you're in it. And you're, this. and you're like, I think I feel good, but what are you saying? Take the bad things and push them away and then breathe in the good things. What good things from where? Where are they? What are you saying? And they're lonely. There's no teeth to them. There's no root to them. There's no ground. There's no solid foundation. They become just words that have no substance. They have no ability to build in us lasting formation. 
And so I listen to them, and I honestly get frustrated. I honestly have been in a few classes in the city, and I just want to go, this is so stupid. You're an amazing teacher. I am so flexible right now. This is so hard. You're a great instructor. But what you're saying has no substance. Who are you talking about? What are you talking about? How is this changing my life? You need both. And so if you are meditating without the, the, the foundation of God's, of the scriptures, I would say there's no reality to those things. The only reality is what you make of them. And this is why historically meditation in both Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition is rooted in the word. And so you have Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the, the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those whose delight is in the law or the, actually the word in Hebrew is the way of the Lord. That has to do with God's commands. It has to do with God's, the way that God deals with Israel, his way, and who meditates on his way day and night. Philippians 4.8. New Testament, same exact idea. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditate on such things. Practically what this looks like and has looked like for mystics through the centuries is either the practice of lecto divina or meditatio spiritare. I don't know how to say that. Does anyone know how to say that last one? First service someone did. Say it loud. What is it? Okay, great. Good job. Thanks, Scott. Thank I didn't hear anything. So, Anyway, so basically what the second one is, let me just be, you guys got it? It's fine. It's hard. Can I just say Jason's killing it on the slides tonight? Like he really is. Seriously. At first it was rocky, but it's been smooth since I prayed for you. Um, the second one, can you put that right back up, Jason? I didn't. The second one is basically, if I was honest, uh, a Protestant way of, of Lecto Divina because Lecto Divina is uh, a, uh, um, a Benedictine practice that is rooted in Roman Catholicism, and Protestants are deathly afraid of anything that's that's Roman Catholic, so they, like, make their own word up. But anyway, it's the same thing, okay? And it's meditation on God's word. Lecto Divina is the, is the Benedictine practice of sacred reading or spiritual reading of the scriptures. It's the practice of sitting with a short text or passage of scripture and being open and receptive to the words that flow right from Christ's heart to your own heart, and then savoring the sweetness and depths of the word that are words that are heard until they are applied to your own heart and your own life. It's a practice of reading the Bible with reverence and openness to what the Spirit is saying to us at that moment. The regular practice of Lecto Divina presents occasions when our story and God's story meet. And as studying the scriptures, which is very, very important, is centered upon exegesis, meditation of scripture centers on, like, internalizing and personalizing a passage of scripture. The written word becomes a living word that's addressed personally to you 
as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Toby, did I say that right? Okay, good, thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. And when Bonhoeffer founded a seminary um, and communal house, a one-half hour of silent meditation upon Scripture was practiced by everyone. And here's the most important lesson about meditation that I can teach you. You learn to meditate by meditating. Write that down. <laughs> you learn to meditate by meditating. You have to start there. Let me just share with you briefly what, what, what my real-time current meditation looks like right now. Recently, I've been um, meditating on Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've been meditating on that for a, few, a couple weeks. And so what I do is um, I set a timer to be still and quiet. And I set it on my, either my watch or my phone because I found that if you're quiet and you don't have a timer set, you're just looking at the time the whole time. So set a timer, be still, be quiet. Uh, St. Benedict said there's three levels of quietness. The first one is just shutting your mouth. The second one is being able to calm your mind. And the third one is contemplative union with God. The third one is really hard to do. If you can learn how to get to the second one for now, it would be really, really good. Shut your mouth, turn everything off, and then try to still your mind before God. So you're quiet. And usually quietness for me looks like allowing thoughts to go through my mind, through a stream of consciousness, where if I have thoughts because they do come up, acknowledging them, letting them endure for as long as they need to endure, and then sending them down the stream of consciousness, just doing that. Until I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there with God. I feel like I'm with God. And then I'll recite this verse. And I'll recite it. And then on a certain day, I might pick up on one word or a phrase. It might be, keep yourselves free. So I might dwell in free. Or the love of money. Or it might be, be content with what you have. Whatever it is. And God, over the last couple of weeks, has personalized certain things or certain things that God's called me to out of that passage where he's personalized it to me. This is how I want you to live in this verse today. This is how I want you to live in this verse during this season. This is what I want you to do in response to this. I take that down, and then I'm meditating on that passage, and then I'll start to then be silent again and try to be silent to listen to God. What God want me to, might want to speak to me. What God might want to say to me. And during this time, um, I'm trying to concentrate on breathing regularly, breathing well. And if my mind starts to wander, I will recite the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer is the prayer that the, the, the sinner prays in the synagogue when he can't even stand before God. He kneels and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. So if I find my mind wandering, I'll take a deep breath in and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And I'll breathe out. Jesus, have mercy on me. Until I think I'm back into a place where I'm with, I'm with God. And then I will write down whatever it is that God might want to speak to me that day 
or that season sometimes is nothing, sometimes it's something or whatever, and I write that down. And at first, this practice lasted literally five minutes, and then it grew to 10, and then 15, and 20, and 30, where it's turned into a retreat that I like to take by myself. It's turned into sometimes experimenting with longer times, um, experimenting with different kinds of prayers that I've been praying, all kinds of stuff. Once the inner sanctuary is built, you're kind of free to explore it a little bit. It's kind of fun. And so here's the thing. I, I think that you should do this in the morning. Now, for some of you, you're like, I'm not a morning person. Um, I can't do it in the morning. You don't know my life. That sort of thing. <laughs> you're right. I don't. I, but let, let me just read this to you. Um, Mark 135. You know the scripture. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to solitary place, place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they said, Jesus, dude, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, you know what? The, we're leaving. He's like, but everyone's looking for you. We're not staying here. We have to go to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Okay, so here's the, here's the, the paradigm. Jesus gets alone with God, and with God, he's at a place where he can say no to things, where he's needed and feels so secure, where people are like, I thought you were the son of man, came to seek and save the lost, but there, we need you here, and you're leaving? I can't believe you. He's able to deal with that, to go, yeah, you might say that about me, but this is where the Father's told me to go. He's able to hear from the Father that the Father actually wants him to go there. He's able to get his like, heart full of knowing exactly how he's entering into that day, like his, he's, he has focus and mental like clarity from God, not from his email, not from his, his Twitter feed, not from his friends telling him this is where he needs to be, like from the father. This, I think this is the only way to make it in San Francisco. If you do not have this practice regularly, you will burn out in this city and you'll burn out probably pretty fast. I have burned out several times here because this was not protected. Even when I'm a full-time pastor. This must be protected. This must be. And so, if I was to tell you like where we're going, like this is my hope. Here it is. My hope is that every person who belongs to this church, eventually, not eventually, every person, elder, leader, Staff, congregant, everyone would spend 30 minutes a day in meditative prayer five days a week. That's my hope. I don't know when we'll get there, but I hope that that becomes a thing where every person that belongs to this church. Now, I know there are all kinds of, if, you're, if you work a lot, if you have, you're a mom of three or two, how difficult that is. We, we, have, we have to start learning how to get creative. Like this is, this is like, necessary. I'll close with a, uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes from the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, Letting that lar other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. We can only do it for moments at first. But from, these, from those moments, a new sort of life will be spreading through our system.
because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. The whole of Christianity is that all of God's life would come into you. The Jesus life should challenge the way you live and order your lives. If you have become a follower of Jesus and the order of your day has remained unchanged, you're not, you, you haven't given yourself over to it. You have to change your life. You have to order your life in ways that are oriented towards a life with God. That's the, that's, I think that's the only way to, to live the Christian story out in San Francisco. It's the only way to have Christian courage in San Francisco. It's the only way to listen to God and know what God is saying to us in this city. You and I need this. Now, where do we start? I think it starts with five minutes a day. It might start with the meditation app that you have. My hope is not, that's not the end of it. My hope is not you get the meditation app, you're like, I, I did that. And I just, I do it on, on Muni on the way to work and it's cool, man, I'm just killing it. <laughs> My hope is that that would then whet your appetite for more and more and more and that you would grow five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. And why do I say five days a week? Because listen, I like to have fun too. <laughs> and sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need a Sabbath that looks completely different. Sometimes we need like a day off. We're like, my, my day off is like, I'm just going to, if, if my heart's oriented that way because it's been so changed radically, awesome. But I, I just leave some buffer there. I think it's important. That's why. Five days a week. That's my hope. That's my hope for us. Start small, five, five minutes a day. Expand out from there. Um, 30 minutes is the, is the hope that our lives are oriented in this way. I believe that healing will come through this. I believe that a renewed passion for the city and living out the gospel in the city will come through this. I believe that forgiveness will flow through this, seeking forgiveness, living oriented towards Christ. I, I, all of it flows from here. That's my hope. That's my hope. Would you stand with me as we pray?